Okay. Shall we start? Let's do it. All right. Oh, fun. Wait, do we have fun facts this time? Oh. Shoot, fun facts. Or like a introduction? Like a question? Yeah, like a question. I can't think. Hmm. I mean, we don't have to have one. Yeah, I think we're okay if we... Where would you hide your six knives? (laughs) Oh, okay, that's good. That's a good question. Perfect. Welcome to Tortal Recall, the podcast, or a podcast rather, where we reread the Tortal books and yell about them. Today we're doing the second part of our discussion about Trickster's Choice. Um, and <laughs> I'm Aurora, my pronouns are she, her, and today, when introducing ourselves, we're going to be discussing the question, where would you keep your six knives? And I personally, if I had six Sneaky knives. I would probably hide them. Ooh, in my hair. I love the idea of knife hairpins. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Oh, that's good. Dang it. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. Or in my boots. Or both. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) There are six of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I feel like it'd get a little pokey if all six knives were in in my hairdo. It'd just be a very elaborate hairstyle, though. Oh, that sounds lovely. Though, to be fair, my hair is very short, but, yeah. you know, in, in fantasy swordland, I have long hair. <laughs> All right, uh, alphabetically, Abby, you're next. Yes, hi. My name is Abby. My pronouns are she, her. I did not think about this question very hard before we started this call. Um, we never think about the question hard before we start the call. Like, let's be honest with ourselves No, but and I feel like other. the problem with this question is that there's just not, like, that many individual places where you can put a sword. Like, Allie has them in her sleeves and her pants. And, yeah, I mean, Aurora just did a gesture. <laughs> but, like... <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm gonna. I'm going to go with also boots. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> <laughs> my name is Amy. My pronouns are she/her. I would keep my six knives in a fashionable necklace, a knife clis of sorts. And if anyone said to me, "Are those knives?" I would say, "That's my necklace." And then I'd just walk away. Would it be kind of like a Black Panther look? Oh yes, absolutely yes. <laughs> Or Princess Mononoke look. Mm. Also that. Both of them. Both can be true. I can take inspiration (laughs) from many sources. They will just be on a necklace. Nice. My name is Kelly. (laughs) My name is Kelly. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I was also going to do hair, but I'm going to think of something else. I guess this isn't, like, super creative, but I like the idea of, like, wrist knives that you're, like, so good at unsheathing. It's, like... Not even like you unsheath them, just like, whoosh, I have a knife in my hand now. That's the best. So that's where I would keep like three each on each wrist. And I don't really know how that would work out. Great. (laughs) Just in a line going up your sleeves so that 
you throw your knife and there's a new no, one No, I was there. thinking, like, around the wrist. Like, maybe maybe they're secretly, like, on, um, like, wrist bracelets. What are those things yeah. called? Like, gauntlets? Mm-hmm. Sort of like a knife gauntlet. And, like, it would be magically oriented so that, like, it would be, like, dispenser. Like, as soon as the first one was <laughs> Right, dispensed. there's, like, a kind of, like, a trick release where you can just sort of flick your hand and then there's a knife in yeah, it. Yeah, and it would just, like, rotate after the first one got dispensed, so the second one was, like, optimal dispensation nice. position. <laughs> It'll be like, you know that magic trick that's, you know, people always kind of make a joke of it in the media where you're, like, pulling different, like, long chains of scarves out of your sleeves? It'd be like that, except knives. Oh, (laughs) perfect for Kelly. (laughs) Yes, our friend who does not like knives, that is me. (laughs) Ooh, I do not like knives. But were I to have them, I would want to be very good at getting them in my hands. Let's just assume they're like <laughs> secret cooking knives. Like the people in the kitchen don't want you to be cooking, but you need to chop some squash. Those I do like. Oh, and then I would have six because they would all be different kinds of knives, like a bread knife and like a little like paring knife and then like a big knife. Oh, okay. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, we are going to um, be continuing our uh, foray into social justice corner by talking about, I believe, colonialism first. Um, But of course, you know, in our social justice corner, all of these things are kind of intersecting. So who knows where we'll end up. But yes, so we'll start with colonialism. Yeah, so this is a book about primarily about colonialism i would say i mean it's interesting because it's a colonialism narrative but the way they frame it is like double not double colonialism but you know you have multiple levels right there's the colonialism of the loiren Mm -hmm. the white people basically okay yes the white people do colonialism as historically many white people have done should we really quickly before we get more into this like be super clear about the colonial narrative here and say like recap the history like as another quick plot summary yeah that's probably a good idea to do a little summary just of that part so the copper isles used to be a place that was full of people who lived there who were the rock of people who had their own complex ruling society with a lot of you know interfighting within themselves and during some of this extremely harsh interfighting some nobles white people presumably made pretty clear from Tortle said oh here's a pretty good opportunity for us to get some new land and some new stuff and they gathered a bunch of allies presumably more white people from a bunch of other countries sort of on the mainland so I think they mentioned like Gala and Scanra and like a bunch of other people and they come together and sort of take over all of the Copper Isles and install themselves um, as the new rulers and ruling class of the Copper Isles and Ezra mentioned earlier those people are referred to as Luaran, basically the white people, who are now both the rulers, the original minor noble family from Tortle who sort of led this takeover, and then all the other white people are installed at like in the new other noble positions. And a lot of the Raqqa become mostly like lower class citizens, a lot of them become enslaved. There are a few Raqqa family that are sort of left with lower class noble positions. Right, so the idea is that they um, ostensibly killed all of the, the like, main royal line of the Raqqa people, but uh, there are still other, other Raqqa people who, I guess, like, collaborated or went along with the, the Luaran takeover more and uh, have retained minor noble positions, but 
Um, yeah, and then also a lot of Raqqa are enslaved, but slavery is not exclusive to the Raqqa because our main character, who is Tortalan, is also enslaved. And there is quite a bit of Raqqa and Luar in, like, intermarriage, so mm-hmm. two of the main characters, Dove and Sarai, who we've talked a lot about, their mom is a Raqqa noble, and then their dad is a Luar noble. Yeah, and their dad is actually from the royal line, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. As is their and mother. As is their mother, but the other royal line. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> the secret, not extinguished Raqqa royal line. Yes. yes, exactly. So that's roughly where things stand, I think, in the Copper Isles. So, yeah, I mean, I think this book does a good job. Um, I, I think, I, I guess my actual, my actual sort of hypothesis here, which I don't, like, I'm not going to 100% stand by this necessarily, but, like, my sort of feeling about how this book works is that it handles colonialism pretty well and race somewhat less well. Uh-huh. And obviously those two things are extremely overlapping. So, like, yeah. you know, there's a big, there's a, a mix of things happening there. But, um, you know, I mean, I was very trepidatious going into this <laughs> book because I thought that it would not hold up well, and some things about it sure didn't hold up well, but I think that just sort of introducing, like, you know, if you assume that this book was written for an audience of children or, like, young adults, and a lot of those are going to be white children or young adults who may not be super familiar with, like, concepts of colonialism, I think it works pretty well for those people, like, as an introduction to the idea of, like, the, you know, these oppressors came in to this country, invaded it, colonized it, you know, are have installed themselves in charge, are oppressing the, the original uh, people who lived on this land. I, like, you know, obviously there's some wrinkles to that. Like, I think that Allie is very precious about, like, you know, well, but the Luaran belong there now. You, like, at one mm-hmm. point she says... The Luaran deserve to stay in uh, the Kiprish Isles or the Copper Isles post-revolution because mm-hmm. they've like taken Kiprish names and they've made the Isles prosper. And the ideal that enslaving <laughs> a lot of the original residents and installing themselves as nobility is making the Isles prosper is pretty gross. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it does a lot of like. Or it does some amount of, like, softening the the idea of colonialism, but not too bad, especially in comparison to the way that it handles race. <laughs> yeah, though, as you said, I think it's it's hard to, to untangle the two of them. Definitely, yeah. And so all of the issues of racism tie into all of these issues of colonialism such that... Yeah, definitely. But it's, like, it's an interesting thing to me, I guess, like, segueing more into a discussion of race. It's interesting to me how they... Like, in a lot of ways, they were conflated, as they often have been in real history. Um, But in some ways, the Tamara Pierce had to work very hard not to conflate them to support her premise of uh, Allie being a Tortalan girl who becomes a slave and is treated as a slave. Which, like, she's not really. (laughs) Like, she only spends a couple chapters, like, really being a slave. Um... But, you know, there's no sort of, like, there's no one-drop rule equivalent. There's no, like, Mm. hypothetically, 
slavery is not race-coded. It just happens to be that the group of Raqqa, the ethnicity, and the class of slave are often conflated. I don't know. I think this comes up a a little bit, doesn't it? Because I feel like the first time, maybe this is me misremembering, but the first time that Ali meets Brownow as a slave, doesn't he Mm -hmm. say something to her, like, to the effect of, like, oh, I really hate, like, seeing Mm -hmm. Tortolans or, like, white Mm -hmm. people as slaves? Yeah, he said something about, like, he he doesn't like the precedent of keeping white people as slaves, um, which is an interesting thing to say. And, yeah, I think he said something like, it gives the Raqqa ideas... So he definitely sees it as primarily, like, a a racial category, like, you know, the existence of slavery is primarily sort of to oppress the Raqqa, but I don't know. It's interesting that there's a little fuzziness there. I think it would be, I mean, I don't know how much of this could have been built into the book, but it would have been interesting to see further exploration of kind of how slavery itself evolved into the in mm-hmm. the aisles such that it developed uh, in a way that you know there wasn't like race-based slavery but you still have these kind of dynamics within it yeah i think like the a weird aspect of this is that we know that slavery exists elsewhere in the eastern lands right um mm-hmm. they talk about that a bit that it's pretty widespread honestly and that slavery in the Copper Isles is more race-based is because they've been colonized, but even in, well, it's hard to say what countries <laughs> uh, in the in this universe are and aren't, uh, like, you know, colonized or, or imperial uh, I mean, it seems like but... the other big example that we saw of slavery was Karthik, right? Mm-hmm. And it seemed like, from what I remember in Karthik, it seems like supposedly most of the slaves were from lands that Karthik had also conquered. Mm-hmm. Right, which is a little bit the reverse. Like, I mean, not entirely be- because we're not, we don't see what the colonies of Karthak are like. But when you're in the Karthak, when you're in the Karthaki capital, um, you've got a lot of slaves that are being brought in from conquered mm-hmm. lands. Whereas here, it's the, the native population is enslaved. Mm-hmm. But not entirely. I don't know. It's weird. I mean, yeah. I guess, like, you know, it's accurate to real history that slavery works different in different places. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, but I think that it could have, like, I would have been really interested to see more clarification of, like, how exactly this works versus, like, and, like, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I think that before we uh, stop talking about slavery, we do have to talk about the good master trope specifically and like the perspectives of the different slave owning people in this story and how they are treated and so let's talk a little bit about um Mequin and Mequin and uh Winamine who are quote like good slave owners is as far as you can say that they try to put the interests of their slaves First, I guess they try to treat them well. They try not to abuse. Well, them. not first because they do sell a bunch <laughs> yeah. of their slaves. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess we can outline like some of the ways and maybe which their behavior is construed or in the book talked about as good. I mean, I think it's important that we say off the bat that like you can't be a good slave owner <clears throat> because you own people. Exactly. And I want to make sure that we right. say that first before we say anything else. They own people. 
Yes. So maybe not owning people would be the way to be good yeah. about this. Yeah, I also, right, I mean, I want to point out that at the end of the book, they free Allie and they burn her sail papers and they take off her slave collar, which suggests that they could do that to any of their slaves at any time. And, like, maybe take an economic loss, but, like, they own people. They own people, and the slave that they freed is the white chosen one who, like, a god was like, this one's mine. Free her. Yeah, so... Yeah, there are definitely, there are things that they do in this book that are talked about by the characters as good things, or at least better things than others. But there are definitely things that we can identify, like, first of all, having slaves, and I think even, like, obvious behaviors in the way that they treat their slaves that are, like, uh, objectively bad. So I don't know if we want to talk about some of the good things and talk about some the bad things. I mean, I think that the good things are just, like, extending human decency to another human being. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there are uh, there are a few things that are, like, specifically notable, like, in the context of, I don't know, the history of slavery and stuff. Like, they, they mention when they're selling slaves that they won't separate any families, um, which is, like, yeah. a clearly, you know, a deliberate, like, sort, you know, that, that's, like, a very traumatic experience that, that many slaves have had throughout history. But, like, they yeah. still did sell them, so... And, you know, yeah. with no guarantee that their new masters would be good yeah. at all. Not, again, not that you can't have, not that you can have right. a good slave master. Exactly. <laughs> That's one thing that really stood out to me at that part, too. They, like, said, we won't separate families. and We'll try to make sure that, like, we know the people that you go to and that they're good. But then at the end, they make reference to, like, Allie because she was, like, left over, like, at the end of this process. Um, just, like, going to go back to the slave market. And I was like, right, well, that yeah. seems like you really didn't actually yeah. do that, did you? Mm-hmm. Like, <sighs> they're only good as long as it's convenient mm-hmm. to them. Right. And, like, they still support the overall, like, institution of slavery, even though they don't, like, even though they <laughs> seem not to be, like, super comfortable with the fact that they are supporting it. Like, they are. Like, they just are. Right, well, and they're doing things like like buying fresh caught slaves like Allie wasn't a slave and then yeah. she was sold to the Balatangs and like this is you know like they're they're supporting the institution of slavery in that way they're selling slaves to their friends and back to the slave markets like yeah. they're not right they're only good to their slaves as long as it doesn't interfere with them economically benefiting yeah, from the system. Yeah, and I think that, like, it might not be, it might be that economics aren't their sole motive. It could have to do with, like, not trying to anger the king who seems a little bit wild. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, who's, like, you know, <laughs> awful and... I mean, yeah, that's all, there's a whole, like, ableism discussion, but the king, like, textually in the okay, book, yeah. the king is insane. But, mm-hmm. like, here's the thing. Does it matter the reasons why you own people? And I just want to point out, like, one other very specific instance of, like, horrible behavior that stood out to me. Not as horrible as, like, many of the things that I'm sure they do and have done but don't do on screen. But, like, one specific thing where they said, like, oh, like, we are good masters and we treat, like, our slaves with respect and stuff like that. So even after Allie is, like, the chosen one and they're, like, oh, she's, like, not even, like a real slave like we should respect her there's like a point where she's in the room with them and she like asks to sit down and she says that they like both stiffen at like the thought of like a slave sitting in their presence so i was like wow oh wow (laughs) and once she i think is annoyed at them and leaves the room without bowing that's like presented like it's shocking 
Yeah, right. Which, I mean, I think there's a whole other conversation to be had about nobility that I want to get into later. But yeah, it's a, it's a messed up power dynamic and you can't actually be like good to people in that scenario. And they're right. They're not even like, they clearly still sort of believe in the power structure of slaves, even if they're trying to be quote unquote good. Yeah. And the problem isn't like portraying that view the problem is that view doesn't seem to be challenged and also seems to be held as admirable often especially by Allie herself and that is the problem Mm -hmm. that I have with it it is not a problem with like the the actions that are portrayed it's that these are supposed to be good people who we and we are not supposed to question whether or not they are good in this respect right yeah, and I wrote down a quote where Allie says, uh, "If the she says in narration, if the Rock of the Owls, Isles were oppressed by their masters, it was a thin, watery oppression in the Balatang household. And just the, the if in that sentence, if they were oppressed, they are slaves. And also, like, thin, watery oppression is still oppression, even if any of that was valid. Exactly. <laughs> oh my god, Allie. There's also, um, at some point, there's a conversation that Allie is having with um, with Winamine and Mequin, and I don't remember all of the context, but I do remember Winamine saying, like, some slaves don't want to be free. Like, I've overheard them talking about how they'd rather be a slave and have, like, a guaranteed warm bed than be a servant and whatever, you know? And it, it seemed like... Like, if you're going to put that perspective in the mouth of a slave owner, at least interrogate it some amount. Yeah, and I mean, it doesn't mean that being a slave is a good thing. It just means that there are, you know, inequalities that are so vast there that if you are, you know, uh, like a servant or like of one of the lower classes, then things Mm -hmm. are really bad, which doesn't say anything good about slave ownership. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I I guess I prefer having Winamine say some slaves don't want to be free as opposed to having a slave say it. Yeah, I would riot. (laughs) True. (laughs) Because at least there's a little, there's a a remove there where... Yeah, she could be wrong and that could be a deliberate critique. Like... (laughs) Right. I mean, there's so much, like, with regard to, like, white people saying things and then you know how we should interpret those that I think Mm -hmm. could shape a lot of how we see these books so you know this is all like Allie's POV and obviously Mm -hmm. she's often wrong about stuff yeah oh yeah but at the same time I feel like for young readers it's very hard to unpack Mm -hmm. that yeah Um, and I don't know I think there's also like a weird level of like you know, having the protagonist be a white person who doesn't really know that much about the society gives a sort of plausible deniability of, like, mm. yeah, if the narration says something, is that something that Tamara Pierce wants you to believe or just something that Allie thinks and she's mm. wrong? You know, mm. um, which, like, mm. yeah, I don't know if that's better or worse than having, like, a per- you know, an actual Raka person from the society say a thing that, you know, I mean, the it, what it boils down to is that Tamara Pierce is a white person. Mm-hmm. And, like... Not true. You know, that limits her ability to write this scenario at all. Mm-hmm. And I think another part of the problem is that Allie is otherwise painted as, like, very... Not completely without flaws, but mostly. Mm-hmm. And so um, making just that aspect of her character one in which we have to be critical of it, I think, isn't being very consistent either. And 
also makes that tricky. I also just want, I wanted to mention the scene where Allie goes to the mage Ochobu. <gasps> yeah. Uh, I don't know if, is White's planning a word? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Should be. So, okay, right. This is, this is a scene where um, Allie has been trying to get to go see the mage in this village for a long time. Finally, um, her, her... Granddaughter. Yeah, Junai and uh, Lusim. I don't know how you pronounce it. The best family in the world. That's going to be the positive thing I say right now. They're the best family (laughs) in the world and I love them. Um, Yeah, so there's there's Ulasim, who's one of the main sort of Raka conspirators in the Balatang household. Uh, Junai is his daughter. And then uh, the mage Ochobu is his mother. So Junai and Ulasim take Ali to go see the mage. Ali sure says a lot of stuff to her. Doesn't, like, her goal here is supposed to be to, like, convince her to help this, um, you know, basically revolution that they're trying to start. Um, or at least protect the, the Balatang children in service of that. So when she's having this conversation with, um, Ochobu, mm-hmm. this is after she's already decided to help the family. So Ali, I think, is there just talking about the greater shape of the revolution and how, yeah. you know, uh, the way that Ali sees it, personally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. The revolution can involve, uh, you know, getting rid of and killing all of the Luaran people. Um, and yeah, so through- much of it is, like, I, I think she's trying to, like, help Ochobu, like, come around her side. But so much of it is, like, but you gotta, like actively like the Luar and you gotta like protect them and care about what happens to them which is such a weird and so much of that conversation is Achobu saying I know this already and then Ali just going and saying it again with her feelings attached which is the frustrating part like Ali will say something and then Okobu's like yes I realize this and Ali just Mm -hmm. keeps talking yeah and in general Ali has so much like she's (laughs) like the amount of times in this book where no one has brought up, like, none of the Raka conspirators have brought up the idea that they're gonna, like, kill all the Luaran or even kill a lot of the Luaran. Like, the Raka people are just like, we we want to not be ruled by a, a white family. We want to get our rulers back on the throne of this country. And Ali keeps going, like, what, but are they gonna kill every white person? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's so bad. I mean, maybe, I feel like Tamara Pierce might have been, not to, you know, speculate about her intentions, but might have been trying to write about, like, reconciliation, but she didn't. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. She did a bad job. I also think on this topic, like, there was a point where Allie uh, is, like, looking in on what the Tortolans are doing, and she thinks, like, oh, the the Scannerans are, are coming to the, to, like, the king with a pe- with a possible peace treaty, but I hope that we like hammer them for a while longer, just to like make sure that they don't get any bright ideas, <laughs> which is like wild in comparison to how invested she is in the Rock of Revolution being nonviolent. Okay, so this book is like not really. The turtle is not super big on like reconciliation. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I don't know, just the general. Um, <coughs> I feel like there's a lot of instances of, of Allie being very threatened or feeling very threatened by Raka people for no mm-hmm. real reason. Mm, <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I mean, she has almost the same conversation that she had with Ochobu with um, the the hostler, Locage. Yeah. Locage. Mm-hmm. And I think even if, you know, he had, like, stronger opinions, he's like, we, at the Raka people, like, this revolution needs to happen. And Ellie's like, no, 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 think about it my way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have one more thing that I want to say on the topic of Allie feeling threatened by the Raka people <laughs> unnecessarily, which is that I wrote down the quote from quite early on when she had, like, just been enslaved. Uh, she expected she would need to prove over and over her ability to find tender spots on a Raka tormentor's body. Uh, and, like, why uh, is that? Why is she specifically worried about the Raka when she's been enslaved yeah. by white people? Oh, because she's uh, racist, too. Yeah. Also, like, <laughs> yes, that is why. Allie White Savior? Allie Blackface? Uh, so many options. We should probably cover the blackface. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. Amy, take it away. So, you remember it back when George was introduced, like, pretty early, I think maybe, like, a, in, uh, what's the word? In in the hand of the goddess, George does black, mm-hmm. George maybe did blackface, but we weren't sure. We, yeah, we, we were like, huh, so George is dressed as a Bajir here, and we can't tell if, like, He's doing blackface to do that, but maybe, but we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I regret that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, take it all back. I reverse my stance. George, like, George maybe taught his daughter to do blackface. Uh, Let's describe the scene really quickly. Yes, thank you, Kelly. Basically, Allie wants to be able to navigate a Raka village unnoticed or or as unnoticed as possible. So she gets into some clothes and she does do some blackface. She runs into some people who are like, hey, you're white and you're doing blackface. Are you like, there cannot be a good reason that you are doing that. And then... She, like... She attacks them? Fights them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she attacks them and also criticizes (sighs) their fighting style. (laughs) And, like, expects that to be very cool. And it's, like... I... You do know that they were oppressed by white people and you were in blackface sneaking around their village. Yeah, I mean, I'm less... I have less of a problem with her criticizing their fighting style than, again, the very explicit blackface that she does do. Oh, yeah, no, the the criticism of their fighting style is just, like, surreal. No, and she doesn't even, like, you know, she is sneaking around their village where she's obviously not supposed to be. And instead of, like, apologizing and being a nice, decent human about it, yeah, she fights them. And then is, like... Yeah. After after she fights them, being like, I am so much a better fighter than you, and you should be better if I am going to be part of this. Yeah, I also think, like, there's no, you know, I like, in-universe, I'm assuming that blackface is not a super offensive thing. Obviously, it's an offensive thing in our universe, and that, like, carries over. But, like, even in this universe where maybe it's just a pragmatic sort of disguise thing to do, it doesn't make sense to do in this context because she's specifically sneaking around a small remote village where presumably everyone knows each other. Yeah, like, literally the first thing they say to her is, do you think we're stupid? Like, we know everybody who lives here. here." So, like, you could have just done that scene with her, you know, wearing her, her, like, sneaking clothes, like, wearing her sort of camouflage dark clothes and sneaking around and trying not to be seen, or, like, literally anything else, but no. 
had to go straight for the blackface. <laughs> oh, I blame George for this. <laughs> I blame Tamara for this. I mean, yeah. Same. This book was written in 2003. Yeah. Oh, oh. Right, I mean, that's the other thing, is that The Song of the Lioness was written oh. in the 80s, and this was written slightly more than 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, doing blackface, never okay, but, like, wider views have shifted significantly yeah. since the 80s. Yeah, we've been able to talk about it more, and, like, it's something that more people should know about before their book goes to publication, I feel. I feel I can reasonably say that before a book goes to publication, someone who reads it will know that blackface is a bad thing to do. Exactly, especially a book that has so many narratives about race mm. and colonialism. Right, I mean, this book, like, this book really feels like Tamara Pierce was trying. Like, she was trying to write a narrative about non-white characters. She was trying to do it in a not-offensive way. Like, she was trying to show the evils of colonialism. And, like, she still messed up in a lot of ways. (laughs) And that's why sensitivity readers are good. Uh Like, and obviously it's not anything malicious. It's just white people. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I think that she, she probably could have done research on her own and figured out Maybe not blackface. <laughs> yeah, no. I I think Maybe I'm trying not. to think of a way to formulate the sentence, but I think it's just that I don't think that white people will ever have the kind of nuanced views on race and race relations as a person of color would, especially a person of color who is a scholar or who is mm-hmm. like specifically well-learned in history and colonialism. If you want to read some cool, good hist- uh, f- fantasy about colonialism, may I recommend A Hundred Thousand Kingdoms by N.K. Jemisin? May I second that? Yeah, not going to get deep nope. into it, but it's a good book. Nope. Anyway, so I think that's, I think that's the blackface chapter. Just real quick while we're talking about thing- things that white people do. <laughs> um, the, the hostler, uh, lo- lo- how did you say his name? I think it's Lokay. Sure. I think that pronunciation is a low k. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> okay, fine. Thanks, Amy. <laughs> um, he's described as having a monkey-like face multiple times. Wasn't into that so much. You'd think that you'd think that she would have gotten better at the racial descriptions in the literally twenty years of writing these well, books, but no. no she didn't nope. use a color. Well, I guess it's. She did mm. at one point. I think she said that Ulysses was like dead white under his coppery skin, which is not, you know, not the same as calling a person yellow or whatever, but it also doesn't seem like it makes sense yeah. to me. <laughs> and there was also a rock a woman who did not get a name, but was referred to as a dark feline creature. I so know. just wanted, we don't need to, obviously those things are bad. I don't know if we need to go into depth on that, but I did want to mention them. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. we could just give it a yike and go on. Yeah. Yike. Yeah. Allie is a white savior in a big way. I'm like deeply concerned about yeah. the opening prophecy because Ali is also like in a like kind of roundabout way like royal in two lines and if it turns out that it's about Ali, I'm going to overthrow like this table. For context, the opening prophecy mentions a person, the one who is promised who will come to the Raqqa bearing glory in her train and justice in her hand. She will be tri- twice royal, wise, and beloved, blah 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 There's a lot more prophecy. She is neither wise nor beloved, but I don't think that'll stand in her way. <laughs> <laughs> That's what my big yike is, too. Yes, Amy. I do not quite remember what happens in the second book so well, so I cannot 
say whether that is true or not and I'm also a major yike now I am worried <laughs> I'm concerned I'm like deeply worried about it but even if that doesn't turn out to be the case I think that there is still a lot of white saviorism in this book oh is there so much yes <laughs> So, whole revolution going on, but we just can't succeed without this random white girl. She doesn't even oh know the history, really. She's here to solve racism. Yeah. yeah, she has no idea, but oh my god. On her slave-based summer vacation. The fact that she thinks oh that god. she's like, oh, I think of this place as my summer home. Oh like, god. oh my god. Oh. <laughs> Those were good yeah. And so much of the other, you know, all of the work that a bunch of, well, all of the Raka co-conspirators have been doing mm-hmm. is like... Yeah, they're huge, like, network. Exactly. is barely yeah, addressed. Like, tell me yeah. more about Chenoal's smuggling ring. Please. Please. Uh-huh. And, like... Yeah, and, like, Ochubo's, like, whole, like, secret, like consortium of mages who are like all biding their time oh yeah that's oh, so yeah. cool i'd also like just tell me about the wonderful family of ochobu ulasim and janai and how their <laughs> work has like translated from generation to generation man okay my gen- my general gripe with this book is like what i usually say about it is how come dove and sarai aren't the protagonist but what if junai was the protagonist of this book oh, oh that'd be so good that'd be really cool i met her once and i adore her <laughs> you met her once <laughs> in this book i think you met her more than She's once in, in this several book. scenes I know. <laughs> I met her in one book and I adore her. Oh, yeah. I mean, even imagine a framing of this book where it's all from her point of view and, like, Allie exists, but, like, as only, only as someone who, like, knows how to do some things, but, you know, the Raka conspirators want to just, like, use Allie to, like, pick some locks. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. Allie's times of being incredibly good at spying and then not good at spying at all from an outsider's perspective would be wonderful. <laughs> you would still be able to get all of the background from people explaining things to her if she were there. And also, like, I don't think it's as funny to read about someone who's, like, bad at tolerating spicy food from that person's perspective. That's mm. true. That honestly would be a lot funnier if we weren't in her POV. Uh-huh. It's not. Yeah. It's not that... It's not very interesting. Yeah, like, oh, you're othering a food from a different culture. Yeah. yeah. What a surprise. <laughs> what a surprise. And we wouldn't even have that, you know, reading it from Allie's point of view. We're like, oh, Allie's so special because she has, like, her parents are the most famous people ever. <gasps> if that could be a twist. Exactly. If it, <laughs> I mean, imagine fun. she's just, like, a very normal white girl. But also, like, if we were reading that and we, the readers, didn't know that she was Alana and George's kid until the end. Until George Cooper just showed up. That would honestly yeah. be amazing. Yeah. That would be funny. <laughs> oh my god, that would be so good because we would be like, okay. And also because Allie shows up and, like, her head is shaved and she doesn't have hair. So we wouldn't have the immediate, like, that's a lioness, yeah. like, mm-hmm. thought. Ooh. God. That would be really good. Yeah, she'd just be very annoying and kind of nosy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But those would be her main character traits. Yeah. And, like, also be having... Oh, God. And then it would be really fun to look at Nawad and uh, and Ali's relationship from far away. Oh, my God. <laughs> Tabling that for now. Tabling okay. it for now, but you can bet 
I sure as heck we are coming back to it later. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and like, again, beyond the ways that structurally this would just be a cool book if Allie were not the protagonist, I think that if you are writing a story about oppression, you could write from the perspective of the oppressed. Probably. Yeah, again, like, Probably. I don't totally know if Tamara Pierce could handle that, but I think that in general, like, you should tell stories about oppressed people from the point of view of the oppressed people. Um, so I'm kind of, like, you know, I, I think it would be better overall if it was a book not about a white person. I don't think that Tamara Pierce would do a great job, but I do think it would be better overall. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And two things, like, very specifically bother me about this white savior nar- narrative, which we can not even put in the actual podcast, but if they're useful for discussion. Um, one, why did Kiprioth choose a white girl? Yeah. And two, like, it really bothers me how many, like, insights Ali's supposed to have that, like, all these really smart people, like, all the co-conspirators, like, wow, we never thought of it that way. Like, really... Right, I mean, they have to do a lot of, like, justifying why she's there, so that takes a lot of the form of people telling her, like, yeah, you you thought of this, and we never would have thought about this, and you saved us, and it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, she already has a lot of cool powers and stuff, and her mm-hmm. reason for being there could be the cool powers. Mm-hmm. Right, but they have to do so much of, like, I can't even think of a specific example. I guess one one thing that they that they did was just like she said you should set up patrols to keep to like <laughs> keep invaders out and they were like whoa we never thought of that. I bet you did yeah. though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like it would be one thing if they were li- if it was like there was a problem that they were already working on solving but there was an obstacle and Allie was like actually here's a way that could be not an obstacle. I think that would be a completely different situation than like what if we did patrols. Right, or like it, anything that was sort of demonstrated to come from her like experience of Tortal or like yeah. specifically her spy yeah. skills. Like that makes sense. But when it's just like I'm going to tell you how to do your job and I'm going to be right about it. <laughs> Oh, Allie. Oh, Allie. Why? 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 While we're talking about Allie, should we transition to talking about how she's really, really snooty about her blue blood? (laughs) Because that was such a noticeable thing in this book. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Both Allie and Alana think about, like, oh, the blue blood of her bond. Yeah, Alana was being such a snob. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is especially mm-hmm. wild because Alana's husband and Allie's father is a commoner. Uh-huh. And I know. there's, like, the fact that, that Alana Ooh. was thinking, like, you know, oh, well, like, it's fine if George does spy work because he's common, but Allie can't because her blood is too blue. <laughs> it's yeah. the worst. And, like, the number of times in this book, Allie, like, when they're, when the Duchess and the Duke say, like, oh, you wouldn't understand because you're not a noble. She's like, well, actually, I am, and I'm nobler than you, actually, so um, I actually do understand. Right, and yeah, the the amount of, like, Allie getting on her high horse because her blood is bluer than the royalty, the white royalty of the Copper Isles, like, that doesn't, that's not the point here. You are getting distracted from the point. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. That's most of my point about that. It's just that, like, I mean, we see this throughout 
Not throughout, because Dane is a commoner and she doesn't really think about nobility that much. And it's also a lot less pronounced in Kel, I think, because, like, her grandparents were merchants or whatever. So, like, she yeah. she doesn't have that, like, oh, I'm from a very old noble family. Like, you definitely see in a lot of Tamara Pierce books the sort of idea that nobles are supposed to be, like, you know, special and take care of people and all this type of stuff. But I felt mm-hmm. like it was really, really pronounced in this one. And they just, they seem so enamored with the, like hierarchy and where they fell in it in a way that given the way that that perspective is treated from all the characters who aren't nobles or like you said as Cal I just found it super striking um I mean maybe she was supposed to come off as rather snobbish but I think probably a bit I think she is yeah like I think she is supposed to be markedly coming from a place of entitlement due to the work of the previous protagonists Mm. like and, like, I don't think that's good, obviously. I mean, I, yeah, I, like, I, to some extent, see the value of, like, well, okay, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I understand why people want to write a story about, like, a, a snob, a, like, an ignorant protagonist learning things about, like, perspectives mm-hmm. that they haven't, you know, considered before and that type of thing. But it's, it's really just frustrating for me to read at this point. And I don't see, like, mm-hmm. I don't see Allie making much of a journey in terms of her perspective. No. Which is the frustrating part. Like, if she developed her perspective and, like, changed her mind as she went mm. through and just experienced more of the world, cool. Yeah, I mean, when, when she thinks about, like, you know, well, my blood's way bluer than your blood, like, that's always, you know, a vicious own that she's doing. Like, that's not, she, she never at any point thinks, like, well, my blood is bluer than yours, but that doesn't matter. Yeah, and, like, I do think it's important, like, I haven't read the next, I didn't, haven't read the next book yet, so I think that we should keep in mind that this is a duology, and this could yeah. be something that is critiqued later, and, like it wasn't critiqued within the same book but it was written as a multi-part thing rather than being like a one-part thing that would later like have a sequel given to it um and with that in mind like i think it is possible that this stance will reverse itself and become a critique but who knows i yeah i honestly don't remember on that one yeah Mm. um Um, should we talk about dumb and sarai yeah let's talk about them i love death yes (laughs) <laughs> I, I love both of them. They're both mm-hmm. very good. Like, I, I love Dove a lot, but I feel like as a kid, I also loved Dove, like, a lot, a lot. And on this reading, I just had, I really appreciated Sarai a lot. She takes like, so much time to just get to know people in a way that's really lovely. Yeah, she yeah. cares so much about the, the common people in a way that I, is kind of unique to her in this book, honestly. And she just has so much, I, like, idealism about, you know, how they can care for the people the the Raka people and I really appreciate that, but yeah, I mean specifically Dove and Sarai are in a, a a very unique position here where they've got the the double royal bloodline. They're minor nobles, but they also are uh, clearly non-white and experience things based on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they talk about like kind of explicit discrimination against uh, the girls such that, for example, Sarai will never be courted by, like, the major, anyone from one of the major Loiran houses because of racism. Right. Yeah, I mean, Sarai is is canonically very beautiful and, like, has a lot of um, 
you know, flirts with a lot of other nobles maybe, but has a lot of trouble making like a good marriage match because people don't mm-hmm. want their yeah. their sons to marry a non-white. Type. Except Bruno and he sucks. Yeah, because there's a scene with Bruno where he's, like, trying to flirt with Sarai by being incredibly racist. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that was the worst. That's fun and exciting for everybody. It's really bad. Like, yeah. I think that there's also, I think an exact quote from that is, like, because he's doing that thing that people do where any food that's not from their own food culture is disgusting and scary. Um, and I think that the exact phrase he uses, which while he's trying to like be cool in front of Sarai is like, just because I keep pigs doesn't mean I eat their slop. Uh, yeah, literally. And he does that as a cool thing to impress a mixed race girl. That's just barf on Bruno. Yeah, I mean, to be, just to be clear where we're coming from here, like, Bruno, the character is portrayed as very racist in the book and like, he's gross, the book is not... Like, that's not a bad thing that Tamara Pierce is oh, doing. Yeah, that's no. a bad character who I hate. I'm just talking about, yeah, I'm just talking about this in terms of social justice, exp- like, explaining the way that these mixed-race characters are experiencing their world. Yeah. Right, so yeah, like, even when Brunel, like, doesn't doesn't necessarily, like, you know, obviously he has a lot of motivation, so we don't really know what his true feelings about Sarai are, but even when he doesn't view her negatively because of her race... He still, like, makes her listen to him talk about how he doesn't like her race. So that's, mm-hmm. yeah, she she's having a bad time. And I yeah. wish that she wasn't, because I love yeah, her. And I think it's sort of interesting, because to me, I read that scene as, like, him coding her as white. Mm-hmm. Whereas right. a lot of, like, the interactions that Dove and Sarai have with Raka are them being basically, like, not not to extract like, it seemed like they're being like coded as Raka. like people who are Raka when they talk to them like never really talk about the fact that they're mixed race that much yeah although Ali thinks about it a lot and I think this mm-hmm. ties into her like sort of concern trolling about like how the white people will <laughs> fare in this upcoming conflict <sighs> yeah yeah but yeah I mean she definitely thinks a lot about like well how do the mixed race people feel about the Raka oppression and like how do the the full blood Raka feel about the fact that they're sort of um, their their royalty is uh, mixed race and like, but yeah, we don't really get actual Raka people's opinions on that so much. That would mm-hmm. be a great perspective yeah. to have. It sure would. That would be a great perspective, or like Devonstrai's feelings about being mixed race in a really stratified and racially coded society. Right. I mean, we get them talking a bit to Allie about it, but. Yeah, I would love to know more of their feelings. It must be really hard to be them, but they're really <laughs> cool. Love them so much. I love them. Um, any other any other specific things? Well, we could talk about ableism since we brought it up briefly, but we can just do that. We can say really quickly, remember the talk we had earlier? Oh, wait. Sorry. I actually do want to bring up one, just like literally one more line that's sort of related to slavery and class and stuff. Um, which is when Allie points out that slavery looks to her like convict labor, but then she's like, oh, well, yeah. but at least the convicts have committed a crime, so that's fine. Allie, probably. you're so close. Mm. Allie, you're so close. You're so close, Allie. I mean, I like that she brought it up. <laughs> so close, but... I mean, there's so many times that Allie is like almost there, but no. Yeah. Yeah. She gets... 
she gets like three quarters of the way to everything (laughs) and then stays on the hill Uh, and add ego to that and then she feels like she's 100 percent of the way and you know Uh, there you go yeah that's it oh my god Allie. oh yeah oh never mind it's far too late what's up um as a note this is something we should probably cut out but one thing that I thought was super interesting, but that definitely stretches back to our colonialism discussion, haha, mm-hmm. is the relation, like the weird parallel between the Loiren conquest and the two great gods, like backing them up. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about that too. Well, I mean, okay, we, why don't, let's put a pin on this. It's going to be super important in the next book. And so I think we can mm-hmm. just discuss it then, but it's going to be very big. Oh. Sure. It is, like, it's it's a really interesting dynamic, though. Especially, like... And Kiproth, he's coded as, like, a person of color. Yeah, oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I think he like, specifically looks yeah. Raka, yeah. Although, it's also... Inter- Mithros is a black guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, Mithros is yeah. a black man, which is great. But we know that the two great gods tend to side with, like, Im- people who like to expand their empires. They they love to be imperialists, um, yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also, like, such an interesting perspective on the goddess, you know, in comparison to what we get of her in Al- Alon- the Alana books. Oh, as yeah. her as the exclusive upholder, not exclusive, one of the main upholders of, uh, what is it, the, the heteropatriarchy? Something along those lines. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's definitely like a feminist but i you know an extremely white yeah. feminist i guess <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah in any case that was a thing that i thought is interesting and that we're gonna have to touch back on but i think it ties it ties into race in like weird in like weird ways and colonialism also in strange ways it's super interesting ways yeah so like keep an eye out <laughs> yeah um yeah and we should just i guess mention like i don't think we need to go deep into it but that it does um, in terms of ableism, yeah. this book leans all the way into the thing that we've seen about the Copper Isles since uh, Song of the Lioness, which is the royalty of the Copper Isles is crazy. No further questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, no no digging into that at all. Just crazy. Sorry for using the word crazy a lot, but that's what it is in the books. Yeah. yeah. No, they don't handle it well. But right, there's not, like, it's not a big focus, so I don't know if there's more to say about that, really. It might, I think it might come back up. Why don't we move on to what we've all been waiting for, um, but we're going to leave Social Justice <laughs> Corner momentarily, uh, for a little while and talk about a Zombie Author, where we, uh, so Piercing <laughs> the Veil, we call this section, where we revive our dead author and discuss authorial intent. Oh my god. So and also our special subsection, uh, maybe cut this out, but uh, shame that kink. I mean, I think we, we can be clear that we're not shaming any kinks, actually. Exactly, we would not do that. But the segment is called shame that kink because we're going to talk about bird kink. <laughs> Yay! But like, we're not shaming it, it's yeah. fine. But, <laughs> but remember how to wear pierce? Remember? Remember when I was like, this is this must be Numair must be what they meant when they were talking about the Birdman. Let's not question this anymore. I should have questioned it. Oh, Amy, yeah. oh, we've all been waiting for this day. Yeah, I really like. I mean, knowing that this was coming, I was very sort of focused on the Numair thing of like, yeah, he's a bird. But like, 
Noah is like really a bird. <laughs> Noah is super a bird. Noah is intellectually, mentally, emotionally, and all levels but physical. He is a crow. <laughs> and on, sometimes on a physical level. Because there's that, I mean, sometimes he is. That's true. He has a secret feathers. Yeah, well, okay, yeah, I mean, like, at the beginning of the book, he is a crow. Ellie <laughs> completely, totally does flirt with him while he is a crow. But then, yeah. even once he is a human, uh, like, in her sight, she can, like, Ooh. see feathers on him. And, like, she she says, like, oh, if I touched him, I would probably feel feathers. <laughs> Dane and Numera are going to be so proud of them. <laughs> Yeah, I think Dave's going to be, like, pretty stoked about this Oh, one. my God. Numera is also going to be stoked about it because they also, again, Numera kissed Dane on the beak. Yeah, well, and, yeah, so now we have the next level where Nawa, like, pecks Allie's chest <laughs> when he's a bird. Yeah. Why? Uh, <laughs> so, Tarkir's into birds. <laughs> like, okay, I guess if you're going to pick an animal. No, no. Amy? Oh, nope. I'm reversing out of this. <laughs> I, I'm hitting the gas. The gear is in reverse. I just, uh, uh, shout outs to Sarai for being kind of into Nala until she found out that he ate yeah. bugs and then not being into him anymore. <laughs> You know, there many cultures eat bugs. Usually they don't eat alive ones. <laughs> yeah. Also, they're not birds, and they don't offer to mouth-feed you bugs. Yeah, yeah, like, eating bugs is fine. Eating bugs is fine. Like... Behaving like a bird because you are a bird. <laughs> not good. <laughs> He's all the way a bird. Mouth-feeding... Why is she... Why is she... Why is she... She's so into Amy, him. you're going to enjoy the next book. She's... <laughs> uh, why are you... Why are you doing your lap? <laughs> Please. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I'm so sad about the next episode that I will enjoy this so far. <laughs> I mean, I also am not on the next episode, Oh, I think. my God. Oh. I'll you again in Total Recall Recall, Amy. Oh, I'm so excited to see you there. Uh, what? <laughs> Please, um, this is so ominous. It'll be fine. I love this. It'll be fine. What's the worst thing that happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. What? Is she a bird? Is Allie a bird now? Is Allie going to be a bird? <laughs> yeah, they're all animals. So yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We really like that. Noah is literally an animorph. I'm sorry. Can we yeah, the fact this? that we picked animorphs as our like spoiler word has continued to be so relevant. <laughs> oh. I, oh, oh goodness! Uh, you laugh at my expense. Yeah. Sorry. Um, actually, um, I don't remember where we normally put it on the list of segments, but are we going to have like a spoiler section? Before we get into spoilers, I just want to say, I think the Kraken is going to come back from Wild Magic. Our friend the Kraken? I just think it's really important that the Kraken come back because I feel like that thread was left untied in Wild Magic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just think that it would be fun if the Kraken came back a generation <laughs> later. Agreed. He has a, a good good little character. I mean, good 
his large, but very, very yeah. large character. Good, very large character. I love the Kraken. Yeah, so should we do a spoiler section? Sure. Is there... Do we make Amy leave? Uh, yeah, and so we're going to have a music okay. cue, and then we're going to talk about spoilers, and then there will be another music cue when we stop talking about spoilers. Uh, hi, Abby. I think we're the only hey. two that are left, which is the yeah. funny to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a very quiet spoiler section. Yeah. There's so much Amy doesn't know. There's so much Amy doesn't know. So I feel like the main thing I want to get out of the way in this section is, like, we know that the prophecy is about Dove and Sarai, but specifically Dove. Well, I mean, okay, the prophecy is actually, it could be both of them, but Sarai is the one Mm -hmm. that Kiprioth wants to be the queen, but we know that a bit of a, a, a wrench is thrown into that, and so... Yeah, right. It's true that that actually raises a lot of questions about like how prophecies work, which we could get into in the next episode. But like, if his if he made this prophecy and wanted it to be one person, but it wasn't, but it's still an accurate prophecy. Like how you know is the prophecy just accurate because he made it be accurate? I don't know. I mean, it seems like he's been orchestrating a lot of this himself. Like, do you remember when uh, was it Hazarin was dying or Oron, one of the two kings? Oh yeah. Kiprioth, like, inhabits his body and says some stuff. That might be where the prophecy came from, and then Kiprioth is... Yeah, then he's just working really hard to make it happen. So, yeah, it was just, like, something that he said. I love trickster gods. Like, it doesn't need to be a real prophecy. He can just say something, and it might come true. Exactly. Because, you know, he says he doesn't know how history is going to go, which is why he mm-hmm. needed, I guess, or not, Allie's help. Questionable. Yeah. Yeah. I guess We'll talk about it in the next book, but she... Boy, does she sure have an instrumental role in organizing everything <laughs> that has to do with the, the rebellion. But whatevs. Yep. Are there any other spoilers? I mean, there's, of course, the things that Amy doesn't know about Nawat and Ali. <laughs> yeah, but I think we can save those for yeah. the next book. I think, yeah, the most interesting stuff that's relevant to this episode, I think, is mostly just, yeah, Dove and Sarai should be the main characters. Uh-huh. But also, like, I, you know, knowing that it's going to be Dove, ultimately, like, I was surprised in this book by how much it was set up like it was going to be Sarai. Like, it really seemed like she would be a good queen. I mean, but the nice thing is that it also treats Dove in a way that, you Oh, know, yeah, I mean, Dove is, like, super awesome. Thoughtful, exceedingly intelligent. Yeah. She's also 12. Okay, she's 12 years old. That It's very young. But I think it wouldn't have been effective in the next book to switch it yeah. such that it's, like, this huge shock to everyone. Oh, yeah. It's a big twist, and I do, I love that twist. Like, and it's such a big twist, I think, because of the way that it's very strongly shaped that it's probably yeah. going to be Sarai in this book. Yeah. Like, everybody says it. That is the only name that is posited. Uh, no, right, definitely. Oh, wait, 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 wait. The funny thing is, everyone's like, don't say her name, you will jinx it. Oh, yeah. They jinxed it! <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, every time they're like, don't talk about it, and then they do talk about it. And then she doesn't become the queen. Well, what? Yeah. So I think otherwise, I can't think of any. Oh, graveyard hag. Guess who's coming back? Yes. Oh, I'm so happy. So I love her. Yeah, I, I love. She did get a mention in this one, and I love that she and Kipri are friends. And I'm excited for the future. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be good. Uh, but in any case. But in any case, 
spoilers over. And now we're going to talk about Queen's Riders, a.k.a. Friendship yeah. Moments, a.k.a. Friends. That's a well, subsection. The friends are the animals. Can we also use this to talk about family moments? Yeah. Yes. I want to talk about family a lot. Let's do it. Family good in these books. Family good. Allie, Allie's relationship with her parents is very good. Like, they're not always the best parents, but it's such a good relationship. They're all trying. They all love each other. They love each other so much. Like, Alana really loves Allie and cares so much. And yeah. this is the book where Allie realizes that. And it's, like, weirdly painful. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's so good and sweet and, like, hard for her to realize also. When she's telling... Dove and Sarai stories about her mom as if she's not her mom. Yeah. It's well and then also when she has to make up like a cover story and she says, Okay, the story is that my mom was like a traveling player who left after I was born because I can't make the story that she's dead because that would be like you know, I, I can't imagine the reality where she's dead because I'm too worried about that happening in reality. But it does also speak a little yeah. to the fact that I think she feels a little abandoned by her mom. Yeah, it definitely does. But, I, I mean, that's also, like, a big, like, thing in this book is that she realizes that she misses her mom. Yeah. And that's very sweet and sad. But also, like, when she's, like, whenever she talks about Alana, she's so, like, surprised that she could ever be tired or ever lose a fight. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, or when she gets all teary when she sees Sarai pull off, like, a perfect sword move because it looks yeah. like her mom. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Also, when her dad comes back and she just. Yes. When George shows George up. George is very good in these books. <laughs> George is so good in these books. Like, if I had read these books first, I would really love George. <laughs> like, and I love George in these books, but I don't love him outside of these books, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, he is the spy master to a whole country and a good dad but he says to heck with that and goes to save his i mean not save but you know i mean try get her back yeah get back his daughter yeah he's such a good dad who has like a good jokey relationship with his daughter mm-hmm. and cares about her very much yeah the scenes at the beginning where you know she comes in with her blue hair and they like have banter <laughs> and stuff it's all great it's all so sweet yeah. uh, oh also speaking of good uh, parent-child relationships. Watching the the girls' relationship with Winna change through the book mm-hmm. is also yeah. super touching. Mm-hmm. Like at that one moment when was it? Sarai says that like she's like I would only do like date Bruno or whatever mm-hmm. with your approval, Dad, and yours, Winna. And then Winna just looks touched and yeah. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. and also Winna originally, you know, before the start of the book, stopped the girls from taking, like, sword fighting lessons because she wanted to, you know, make sure that they were seen as respectable ladies and all that type of thing. But then, uh, you know, the fact that she comes around and starts encouraging them to do martial arts is good also. And she even starts taking sword lessons even though she, like, obviously hates it. Yeah! And she's such (laughs) a beginner and she starts doing sword lessons. Mm -hmm. I love her. Like... I love that happening to her. Mm-hmm. I love that growth. Yeah, uh, I mean, so there's also super good friendships among the um, the Raka, like yes. uh, the whole like the the top four conspirators who just like hang out and like drink together. I love them as a group. Yeah. 
I love them all so much. <laughs> God, wouldn't it be cool if this book maybe had gone into the perspectives of a non-white person? Imagine. <laughs> wow. Imagine that. Yes. But like, yeah, any- uh, uh, Cheneol and Ulasim and Fescau and uh, Lo, however you pronounce his name. They all had a really good relationship with each other, and then they also had a lot of really good banter with Allie, like, individually. They have such good snark. Such good snark. Like, imagine the conversations they have among themselves about Allie. Like, we'll never see those. That will never be on screen. They're probably so good, though. (laughs) Please show me the forbidden dunking on Allie. (laughs) I mean, Ulysim and Chene will do a lot of it to her face. Like, the amount that they're sarcastic about like, pretending to believe who she says she is, but, like, not actually believing it is really good. Oh, yeah. Um, so good. Yeah. Allie's also pretty funny. Like, that she oh. has the... It, she's talking to Ulysses, and, and he, like, expresses suspicion that she's not who she says she is, and she says, like, I'm as true and honest and dirt as dirt, and I'm even more charming than dirt. <laughs> and, like, that's just a good interaction. Uh-huh. Yeah, this book really is, like, doing great on the snark. Yeah, snark levels through the roof. Oh, mm-hmm. also sort of speaking of snark, guess who shows up in this book? It's Neil. <laughs> Not Neil specifically. It's uh, Alana and Kel and Ruel and Neil are all in a scene together, and that's delightful. That's yeah. <laughs> so good. Like, Alana and Kel just, like, cracking jokes at each other. Yeah, and everyone, like, they're sparring and everyone's cheering for them, and people are, like, Neil's cheering for Kel saying youth and skill, and then Alana and Rahul are yelling age and treachery. (laughs) It's so good. (laughs) I love all of that. God, I'm so glad our friends came back. Yeah. There is no reason for that scene to be in this book. I love it. No, it's just the extreme levels of fan of fan service of both that scene and then also the scene where it's just uh, Dane and Numer's like baby christening and all of their friends are also there and like Cloud is there and like it's great. It's so great. She knows what we want. Yes, sort of. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> It's incredibly unnecessary, but also... I just want to see all the friends. Yeah, if the entire book were just like, well, I'm not going to go that far, but I could read an extra book that's just (laughs) time for friends. Yeah. Here's what everyone's doing. And there are also some really good sister moments between Dove and Sarai. Like, every time Sarai's, you know, going somewhere to see Bruno and she like knows that she'll be okay because Dove is like nearby and like chaperoning. Yeah. Yeah, there was really good I mean there was there was really good Dove and Sarai content and then really good Dove and Sarai and Allie content also. Um like just just good banter. And it was really cute how they were always like excited to hear her stories of Tortal and and Mm -hmm. that type of thing. And you know I mean, Allie occasionally got in trouble because she doesn't really act like a slave, but that means that they're all able to just like tease other and it's good no and they occasionally like there's some of the people that like sometimes Allie will not be correct about something and they mm-hmm. point it out they sure do uh, and that's good and important because Allie needs yeah. those people in her life she really <laughs> does um oh also on Sarai there's like one line like obviously we're not in her POV um and we're not in Nawat's POV but there's one line where Nawat indicates to Allie that Sarai has been giving him girl advice and that 
Yeah. It's very cute, and I love that they have a friendship. Rip. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Also, Nalat's just really good with friends with everybody in a way that's super charming. Yeah, he's just a nice guy. Nice crow. <laughs> a nice bird. Let's be clear here. He's a nice bird. Yeah. He's a bird. He's trying his best. But he just likes to give people things and then yeah. amuse them by catching arrows. And- protect his friends like oh man he is a weird curl man but it also like is really touching that he's like i will do all these things because i care a lot mm-hmm. about you sort of without questioning that that is a nice weird thing from curl man he's like everyone is like all these people are my extended family and i will protect you forever and it's good yeah, yeah. no i think there's a lot of good friendship in this book less mm-hmm. in terms of like le- well okay just kidding you know what if he's a crow he can fall under animal friendship <laughs> Oh, I think yes. Noah absolutely counts as animal <laughs> friendship because he's just a crow. <laughs> he's just a crow. And he has a lot of friends who are also crows, and they are also questionably friends with <laughs> some of the people. Mm-hmm. Animal friendship is mostly limited to crows, but there are a decent number of crows. Some of them are friendly. There are many crows. I think that's pretty much it. Like, are there even any other animals that appear in this book? I mean, the winged horses, but they're not super friends. Oh, the winged horses. They're not Uh, really friends, but they are cool. I consider them friends. Also, Allie has a horse that she's probably not really friends with because she keeps riding it really badly. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, the horse probably isn't, like, loving it. Um, is it time for Crowfax? Go (laughs) for it, Go for it. (laughs) So this doesn't really fit in here, but I found some hashtag crow facts um, to expand on what we talked about last time. A little bit more about crow communication in particular. So I have some cool crow, crow talk, crow talk facts. Hashtag crow talk. Fact number one, crows can mimic people, much like parrots. So they can mimic the human voice, which is interesting. I didn't know that. Cool. Crow fact number two. So we said... You know, this book says that crows can count. Maybe they can't count. Turns out, crows probably, like, kind of can count. So, like, there have been studies on parrots and jays, and jays are also corvids, like Mm -hmm. crows in the same family, to show that they can sort of do different counting problems, at least, like, up to the number six. So there was a study in crows, specifically, that had them learn to, like, recognize on-screen pictures of numbers of dots... Um, and show that they could, like, differentiate, that they were specifically cueing into, like, the number of dots on the screen and not, like, their size or, like, their color or anything else about them. So it seemed like they were able to count. Mm-hmm. And it did, like, brain imaging of the crows while they were doing that recognition and showed, like, specific counting neurons firing that are sort of analogous to the kind of neurons that fire in humans and other primates when we do counting behavior. So it seems like crows probably can kind of count, although who knows, like, to what number and that they maybe count using similar mechanisms Uh to us. That's cool. So, cool. Um, Another crow fact, I think, I feel like we talked about this in the last episode, but crows are, like, really good at facial recognition. They can recognize humans really well. So there was a study that's pretty famous out of um, John Marsluff, who's a famous bird and especially famous crow biologist's lab, um, where he and, like, a bunch of other people put on, like, a very specific mask and captured a bunch of crows and then later went out again, like, wearing the masks and had, like, those same crows come back and, like, attack them and also other crows that they, like, hadn't ever handled, which they could tell because they put bands on the crows that they had handled. Um, also, like, get sort of alerted 
to their badness and come back and also attack them. And then when they walked around with different masks or without the masks, the crows didn't attack them. So crows are pretty good at queuing in on, like, humans, different humans, potentially human faces, at least human masks. Mm -hmm. Um, But crow myth potentially busted from this book. This book talks about, like, a lot about how crows can, like, use identification words for, like, specific, like, types of threats or something that are coming. And it seems, like, based on what I read, that while crows can, like, probably signal the intensity of different threats to each other with their calls, it doesn't really seem like they have specific calls for specific predators. Huh. So, that's hashtag crow facts. Thanks, Kelly. I'm so very (laughs) impressed that they can count. Like, that did kind of seem to me like a thing that Tamara Pierce might have put in the book because she, like, heard it somewhere. (laughs) Like, I I definitely get the impression that she's, like, reading some animal facts for these books. But, uh, yeah, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. I was impressed, too. I thought that was pretty cool. Them crows. Cool. Crow facts. Now, we're going to enter the chamber of the ordeal in which we rate this book. <laughs> so we rate the book on three things. Nostalgia, animal friendship, and who we'd recommend this to, I believe, is our rating system. Yes. So who wants to go first? Right. Okay. We rate. It's been, I feel like it's been a long time since I've done this. I don't even know if that's actually true. But <laughs> nostalgia's slightly lower I think maybe like a maybe like a six out of ten for nostalgia because I did really like this book as a kid but I also didn't reread it that much yeah I don't know it just it it felt a little like it it felt less like my childhood and more like a good book that I read when I was a teen you know I don't know if that's Mm -hmm. actually when I read it but slightly less nostalgia but still some good stuff Mm -hmm. Um, animal friendship, it's gotta be, like, a two, because there's only the one crow. He's a very, well, never mind, anyway. Yeah, you know, he's a good crow, but there's just the one of him, and also he's in a person body, and also they kiss. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fair point. Okay, continue. (laughs) So I'm gonna give that a two out of ten. Um, I would recommend this book to primarily teens, I would say. Like, it's definitely YA and not, uh... You know, it's not mi- it's not even remotely middle grade the way that a lot of her other stuff is. Mm-hmm. Um, so teens, but yeah, I mean people who are, you know, I don't know. It's it's a tra- a trade off <laughs> because I feel like I want people who are reading this book to be able to do like critical thinking about the the messages that they're getting from it, and you know, colonialism and racism and that type of stuff. But I also think that like the main purpose it serves probably is to work as a sort of introduction to those concepts. Yeah. Like it doesn't necessarily work on a a deeper level, but if you're, if you haven't done a lot of thinking about racism and colonialism, it could be a good intro, I guess. So, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe, maybe teens who want to start thinking about that stuff, but look at it critically, Mm -hmm. hopefully. (laughs) Nice. Uh Amy. Okay. So my feeling is, I, this story was really fun, mm-hmm. and I really like a lot of the characters. Unfortunately, racism <laughs> and colonialism, and she's dating a bird. But, like, less. But I, not less dating a bird. More dating a bird. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wait. First, let me just do animal friendship. Like, I'm sorry. This is Max a three. Like, Max. She doesn't even pet an animal. Well, I think she does pet Nala. Or does she not? Nope, nope. We're not doing this. We're not doing this today. We're not doing this now. We're doing this all the time. (laughs) 
<laughs> I am slamming the brakes on this car. I am swerving to the side. Uh, to, I am in the side lane. We are not going to McDonald's. That's hilarious. <sighs> okay, anyway. McDonald's is talking so, about Nolet again. Uh-huh. Nostalgia? <sighs> Uh, so I don't have nostalgia, so I'm just going to rate this by the number of very cool knives that Allie has. So that's also, I believe, a 7 out of 10. Solid. So, because she found those good six six good ones, but she already had the other one. Uh-huh, that's true. Found. She was supplied those by a very a great organized smuggling operation. Yeah. Solid. Aurora. Oh, my turn. Okay, cool. I hadn't thought about this beforehand. Nostalgia. Ooh. I don't know. I'd probably give it like a five. I feel like I loved this book so much as a kid and being able to engage with it more critically has both made me more like, like it more and like it less. But yeah. Yeah. I have so many mixed feelings about this book that I'll just give it a five because I don't even know what to think about it anymore. <laughs> Animal Friendship. I'm gonna gonna go out on a limb here and give it like a five because there are these cute little winged horses. You know, there are winged horses. They do mostly attack Allie. But <laughs> I feel like she kind of deserves it. Yeah, she does. So does Nala. So Nala definitely does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're also really good friends with uh, a Chobu. And that's that's a real lovely moment. That's true. Ochobu and the the winged horses. That's a good solid friendship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll bump it up to a three for that friendship. There we go. Solid. And I think uh, in terms of who I'd recommend it to, similarly to similarly to Abby, I think I'd go with high schoolers. But this is one of those ones where I would recommend like a reread over time because it's a good experience yeah, to just like reexamine what you felt about it in a past life. And, right, like, you're, well, okay, I, I do think that N.K. Jemison's work is more adult than young adult. I think maybe read this book, and then a few years later, just switch to N.K. Jemison. Mm. Like, get some Octavia Butler in there. Ooh, Octavia There's Butler. There's many options. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so I think that's about where I fall. Kelly? Yeah, I would say, I remember really liking this book when I read it, read it but I don't, I don't really have, like, strong memories associated with it, so I think, like, similarly probably like like a four for nostalgia like mm-hmm. I liked it but I I'm not really like feeling all those good times flooding back and also yeah totally did not remember any of the problematic stuff at all I just remembered crows <laughs> that's literally all I remembered spies and crows um that being said like animal friendship okay <laughs> is it a 10 or is it two <laughs> Not sure, not sure, not sure. It doesn't count as animal friendship if it's in a human body. <laughs> Does it? Really Does it? a crow, though. I know. <laughs> and, like, I understand that people are animals, too, and all of that. And I understand that Nawad is a crow. No, but, like, he's not a, he's not a human. He is a crow. He is a crow, though. But does that just make it slightly more cursed? Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but, okay. Disregarding that for a hot second, which is unlike me, um, I would say probably like a two or three. Like, it is super cool that Allie can like talk to a bunch of crows. If I hadn't had Dane, I would be really impressed by that. Um, and the voices are pretty cute. So, probably like a three. Sure. God. Oh, and recommendations. Yeah, I think similarly, yeah, teenagers, I'd want them to be able to get more out of it 
than I did. I think I read it a little bit younger. Like, I think I probably read it at, like, 11 or 12 or something. And I wish that I'd gotten the nuance that I got on this rereading. Yeah, so I think definitely. teenagers and rereading would be good. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot to recommend a person to read this, but I'm not going to say anything different. So I just wanted to clarify. So before we go, we have a piece of listener mail. This is related to Kel, and it's from our listener, Lemons. Hi, Lemons. Um, so what Lemon said is... I posed this question to my friend after rereading Squire the other week. Do you think every knight might get a bonus vision or quest from the chamber at the end of their ordeal? I know that we don't really have a great sample size since Alana was chosen by the goddess and and Kel, the normal magicless one, seems to be specially chosen by the chamber and no one in universe is allowed to talk about the experience. But after facing their fears, Alana gets her vision slash tearing of Roger's magical veil and Kel gets the warning of the nothing man. Maybe it helps everybody move forward with knighthood somehow? Or maybe I'm extrapolating too much on limited data. I love this question a lot for multiple mm-hmm. reasons. One, the fact that you're bringing the sample size into it is great. <laughs> Extremely good. But I also just love this concept because I like the idea that everyone gets a bonus vision and everyone thinks that they're the only one to get that because no one's allowed to talk about what they see. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of potential for like good dramatic irony-based comedy there. Yep. I love it. Oh, I love it. I also love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, I. you know, we can't disprove it. So it's true. Cool. <laughs> okay, before we go, I want to say thank you to our everyone who's reviewed us, uh, especially Kat and Catherine NZR. Uh, I like feedback. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and also I want to thank everyone who's supporting us on Patreon, including Joe, Abigail D, Vague Dark Entity, Ethan, Lemons, Math, Emmy, Isabel, Catherine, Abigail L, Courtney, Sophie, Michaela, Emily, Rebecca, Gretel, Starbit, and Negev. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I know, that's a lot of people. Thank you all for donating and for supporting us. I hope that you're enjoying the bonus episodes we have up there. And (laughs) that's, yeah, that's all. Thank you so much. Uh, I think that we are basically wrapped up now. If you would like to hear your question read on this show, you can email us at turtlerecall at gmail.com. Right now, we really would like to get any. We're all white here. We're going to be talking a lot about race and colonialism, and we would really like to hear from people of color's perspectives on this book. So if you're interested in sharing that, our email is open. You can reach us at turtlerecall at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at turtlerecall. You can follow us on Tumblr at turtlerecall.tumblr.com. Our music is Greensleeves by Zeta. Our spoiler music is It's Crunk Night, and the full details will be in the description. Uh, and that's the end of the episode. Someone edited in the part where Aurora said, see you, Tortellini. Except I did just say it again, so that might be it. See you, Tortellini. Hi, 
Hi, sorry. I was explaining to I was both texting Kelly for conspiracies and explaining to my sister what a turtle is. <laughs> oh my gosh, did you guys have some good conspiracies? <sighs> no, it wasn't about spoilers. Oh, okay. I was trying to get her to mute the call and then record a second podcast with me while you were talking. <laughs> but you finished too fast. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, we we were quick. There were only two of us. <laughs> <laughs>